Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. All right, well, guess what we're talking about today? Conflict on Father's Day. How about that? That's what we're talking about. Uh, it's been really fun. We've had a great series in Ephesians. We did the parenting panel last week. We had a couple of weeks here, and we thought, what would be something that we could talk about that would just help us advance the kingdom of God? And we landed on uh, conflict. And so we're gonna spend the next two weeks just talking about how we are, how we can be good at conflict. And then hopefully today we're gonna motivate you and encourage you and give you some skills that will make you a light for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so one of the things that we know is that conflict happens uh, to everyone in many, many different arenas, right? So as we go through this, I want you to be kind of active participants and listeners about, hey, where are some places in my life where I may have had conflict where I have swept it under the rug or I'm just, because of people pleasing or fear, I've moved away from it. So throughout the whole service today, you're gonna have a chance to kind of uh, be an active learner because at the end, there's some application for you that might help you um, be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we know conflict uh, happens at home, right? Marriage, in parenting, it happens with extended family, with in-laws, uh, it happens with church, uh, with your community groups, or with your leadership. Unfortunately, I have been in a room with many of you where I have blown it and uh, have had to say, hey, I'm sorry, how can, we, how can we do this better? How can we get better here? But it even happens at church, right? This conflict uh, thing happens at work with bosses and employees, happens at school, uh, with teachers and administrators, and maybe your kid didn't get the teacher that they wanted going into third grade or didn't get the grade they wanted, and so how do we approach those people? Happens with coaches, your kid's not playing the position that they want or uh, didn't get on that team or a coach is not playing your kid. How do you handle those types of things? And so it happens every day, and it's so easy for it to happen, it kind of comes out of nowhere, right? And kind of catches you by surprise, this conflict thing. And so I remember years ago at Watermark, I was in the external focus area and we were, it was a new area and we were developing the external focus thing uh, at the Dallas campus. And I had hired a couple of part-time guys and one grew up in Ghana, kind of in the slums of Ghana and really had to fend for himself. And then the other one grew up in Vegas with his mom uh, dealing cards, and God had done some radical transformation in these guys' lives. But we had finished our external focus meeting, and it had kind of moved to politics, okay? And I was walking out of the room, and all of a sudden, I hear one, or I kind of out of the corner of my eye, watch a guy stand up, and I hear, hey, you want to take this outside? And I'm like, what? And the other guy stands up, you bet, let's take this outside, and I'm like, these are my staff. Who did, who did I hire, right? And so the, the door was open, and so I turned around and looked back in the conference room where we were, and I said, sit down and shut the heck up. And because my mom's here today, I said, heck, 
right? That's what I said, okay? And so, and so I look out into the kind of the cube farm out there and all these heads come above these walls. It's just like, what is happening? And it just comes out of nowhere, right? This conflict stuff. And, and it really happens in really four different primary areas. And so one is when you hurt someone is an opportunity to move into conflict. When someone hurts you, there's an opportunity. Maybe you're asked to mediate a situation where you've got friends or partners uh, that need to come together. Or if you see a pattern in somebody else's life of sin or a growth area, and you as a Christ follower wanna step in and help them grow uh, to be more like Christ. And so if this thing, this conflict thing is so prevalent and happens in so many areas, let me just ask you a question. Why do we stink at it? We are just, as a general rule, not very good at moving into conflict, right? And so I think there's three reasons why that is. Number one, I think that we forget. There's some critical things that we forget. And one is that we forget the conflict is an opportunity to make disciples. Every time I am in a conflict meeting, whether that somebody's frustrated with me or I'm frustrated with somebody else, I am either being discipled or I'm making disciples. And so instead, some of us see conflict and think run the other way and we need to change our mindset so that we move towards it. Uh, we forget that it glorifies God and it's commanded by God that we have to do that. We forget that sin divides and leads to further division and chaos and sin. That if something doesn't interrupt the pattern, there's a lot more trouble coming. And we forget that God can use us, right? We are ambassadors, reconcilers of the gospel for other people and God is sending us out to bring warring or divisive parties together. And so the first problem is that we forget. The second is that we're just afraid. We're fearful, right? Is that we are afraid, hey, I'm not skilled enough or if I jump into the middle of that thing, that's a mess, I'm just gonna make it worse. We're fearful. Our people-pleasing kind of jumps to the top and like, oh, no, 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 I can't have that hard conversation because maybe they won't like me if I have that. And the third one is that we just forget that people are frail, that we're frail, that the people that we're in conflict with are frail. We forget that we're sinners. We forget that we are a mess. A guy named John Ortberg wrote a book years ago that just said, um, everybody's normal till you get to know them right? And so we've all got these oddities and idiosyncrasies and we get a little closer to people in relationship and we see some of that stuff that's not like us. We tend to pull back and move backwards instead of moving in uh, to help people grow. We forget that uh, we are easily hurt ourselves, that we easily hurt others. And I would just tell you, mature Christians, folks that have been walking with Christ for a long time, 40 years for me, still have bad moments and even bad seasons of this. And so we need to be good at this. We need to be good, at, good, good, we need to be good at it for the sake of the unity of our church. And I'm telling you that there's a watching world that if we get good at this, because God commanded it of us, 
and because it's helpful, there's no telling how much God can use us in this process. And so God tells us in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Romans 12, 18 just says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so we're commanded, okay, to be peacemakers, to move into situations. So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna try to convince you that conflict's an opportunity for discipleship. If you're a Christ follower, we're commanded to make disciples and I want you to be a disciple maker. And so conflict is an opportunity to do that. We wanna teach you some conflict skills that you would be more and more competent in how to do this. And the last thing is we wanna inspire you to run toward chaos in the lives of others. And so one of the things that's been really helpful for me ever since 9-11, there's some images you're gonna see that come up on the screen that are horrific, actually. And so some of us remember that the day that that happened. And so the towers were falling. And the other images that are in my mind is just people that are just sprinting away from the chaos, right? Running away as they fast they, as they can. And that's instinctive. That's what we all would do, right? But then there's some amazing other images of policemen and firemen and people running into the towers, running towards them to go be helpful, running towards them to go rescue. And so as I think about conflict, I'd love for you to have that image in your head, okay, just that, hey, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, God calls us to run to the chaos. And so the great thing is that there are so many of you here, our community group leaders, our community group shepherds that are doing this really well, and I couldn't be more proud of our church but I want that to grow. I just don't want it to be those people. I want every single one of us that calls City Bridge home to become skilled in this because God commanded it of us and because of the good things that happen because of it. So what we're gonna do today, we're gonna go to my favorite passage, okay, in terms of how do we learn to do this. And so we're gonna take this passage, we're gonna take 30 years of ministry that I've been in with all of some successes lots of failures, and all the stuff that I have learned over the years, and we're gonna try to package it in a way that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to the world. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, okay? We're gonna be in Genesis 13 through two, two through 12, and as I'm reading, I want you to do what I did in my preparation. I want you just to start thinking about principles that would apply to your life from this story is you think about conflict because this story is so helpful. It's one of the things I love about the stories in the scripture. So we're gonna get you some principles and then some best practices. So let's read this together. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, and now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land." 
Verse eight, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you, please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as, far, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. So there's a lot here, so let me just give you a little bit of context before we start taking some principles out of this passage. And the first is you need to know that Lot was Abram's nephew. They had been together for a really long time, and he assumed he was like a son uh, to Abram. And so they had journeyed, okay, to this place that they thought was gonna be super resource, great resources for them, water, grass, but over time, uh, they got there, as Lot had grown his herds, as Abram had grown his, there was just not enough resources for the two to stay together. That is what is going on. And Abram and Lot, as the head of their families, were responsible for their herdsmen and other people. And so they said, hey, we've got to solve this dilemma that we've got. So let's jump in to some of these principles that were, um, can be really helpful for us as we think about conflict. So the first thing we need to know in verses six and seven is that conflict affects multiple people. Okay, when you're in conflict with somebody, it's not it's just not you and that person that's affected by that. There is a circles of chaos outside of that that are affected by you being in conflict with someone. Unity is a very fragile thing. Division casts a really wide net, and it's one of the enemy's number one strategies to separate any organization. How can I get in there and divide either these two people or these 10 people or these 100 people? What can I do to cause chaos? And it's really interesting. At the end of verse 7, it says, now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. And as I was studying, I was like, that's just kind of a random throw-in. It doesn't seem to make sense to the text that's there. And then we started thinking about it and studying it. It was like, okay, I think God's trying to tell us, hey, there is a watching world, okay, that's paying attention to this conflict between Abram and Lot. It's a great principle to know whenever we're in conflict, it doesn't just affect us and other people are watching. Secondly, Abram called on the name of the Lord. That's the first thing he did. He arrived at this new place, and it says that he called on the name of the Lord. So he went to God first. He reminded himself who he was, who God is, and then he probably reminded himself of the promises that had been given in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, that God had promised him that he would have land, descendants, and blessings. And so he called on the name of the Lord. Third, he initiated and stopped the escalation in verse eight. And so some of you have probably heard this, but bad news does not get better with age, right? It just doesn't get better. So Abram and Lot got together and said, hey, let's not be in conflict. Let's, let's start working on this. Let's pay attention. So the quicker that you can move towards the conflict and stop the es escalation, 
the better off that you are because the deeper and longer the conflict goes, the longer the healing takes. And so I wanna tell you there's a great illustration out there, okay, between the difference between buffalo, a herd of buffalo, and a, and a herd of cattle, okay? Which one do you think you wanna be? All right, here we go. So, the, so cattle, whenever a storm is coming, okay, the storm comes, and the cattle run with the storm, and they are in the storm for a really long time, okay? A herd of buffalo, okay, the storm is coming, and a herd of buffalo run towards the storm, okay, and run through the storm and are out in a really short amount of time. You wanna be a buffalo, okay? God commands us to be buffalo, okay? That we are to run towards chaos, run towards division, run towards things that are escalating. Next, Abram reminded himself and Lot of their common purpose in verse eight. He just said, hey, don't forget, we're brothers. We're of the same family. We have the same foundation. We believe the core things. He just reminded them himself and Lot of the big picture. And then the hardest one of all, okay, the principle is that Abram got neutral, Okay, I'm reading a great book called Sacred Pace right now. It's about a business guy whose life has been transformed and he started to apply biblical principles to his business. And one of the things he talks about in there is he, I know when I'm trying to make decision or I wanna do something, I've gotta get neutral on it and I've gotta entrust it to the Lord. And so in Abram's case, as he went to Lot, he just said, hey, if you take this land I'm gonna take this. If you want this land, I'm gonna take this land. And he got neutral. Okay, another great word for that's humility. Right, he was high. He just said, hey, man, we're having conflict. And he got neutral. And it's been, that language has been so good for me over the last three or four months as I've been thinking about that, is am I neutral about this decision? Or man, how much are my feelings and my emotions tied up in this deal? And so the outcome is uncertain, and so it forces us to trust God. And so I will tell you, I have learned from the psalmist, okay, that there are times when I have to command my heart, and conflict is one of those. Even though I've been doing conflict for 30 years, whenever I'm in it, or I've caused it, or been a part of it, I still get nervous. I don't want to do it. I want to back away from it. I want to run the other way from it. And so I have to command my heart and I have to say, Lord, here's what your word says. It says that conflict's an opportunity for discipleship. It says that you call me to be a rescuer of people, to rescue people out of trouble. And it's also amazing what happens. It's an opportunity, I remind myself, it's an opportunity for God to do something amazing. We've got great recovery ministries here and so much life change is coming out of those ministries. But I'm telling you, if you want to watch God go to work, jump into conflict meetings. Go in, trust God, step on the edge, right? Say, okay, God, I don't wanna do this, but this is what you call me to do, even at some risk that that might 
that that might cost you. And over time, as I've done it a bunch, that's either good news or bad news, right? Either I've caused a lot, but my fears have diminished and my trust has grown because I look forward to God doing something great in those meetings. Something's gonna show up like two big old strong studly guys are so frustrated with each other that they can't hardly be in the room and all of a sudden those words like I'm sorry and will you forgive me come out of their mouths and at the end they're hugging. Right? I'm like come on, that didn't happen because I set up a meeting or I manipulated some conversation in there. That happens because God goes to work and it's so fun to watch God be a part of that even though at the beginning my heart's beating and I don't want to step into that. The last thing in that passage is that Abram later pursued Lot even though he was living in the consequence of his sin. So in chapters 14 and 19 of Genesis, you can go read, but Abram, after Lot had separated, went at great risk to his own life and to his family and was part of God's plan to rescue Lot out of trouble. And so Lot had progressively moved from the valley that he said, I'm gonna take towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah until eventually he was living in those cities. We find a little bit, late, a little bit later. And what I love is that Abram, again, at great risk, Okay, went and rescued his nephew. Sounds familiar, right? Me, you, we're a people who were moving towards sin and chaos and division. And the God of the universe, at great risk, stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, and rescued us. He gave us the perfect model, okay, for us to be ambassadors and to be reconcilers. He entered our chaos so that we might be set apart and set right for him. And there's so many reasons that he did that. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Let's read it together. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you're a Christ follower, God stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus, came to this earth and rescued you to set you back in right relationship with him. He did that for so many reasons. He did that because he wanted you to be adopted. He wanted to forgive you. He wanted you to live free. But one of the main reasons he did that was so that you could be a reconciler and so that you could be an ambassador for Christ. You move into a foreign land. The scripture says we're aliens and strangers in this world that we live in. And he's saying, I've got my ambassadors in that land. 
And so Abram went to a place of wickedness, right? God has called us to move into our community to rescue and be ambassadors on behalf of his kingdom. And so we're gonna spend the rest of the message trying to give you some skills and uh, just ideas that will help you get, get good at this. We've talked about the the head, the information we've gotta have. We've talked about the heart and we wanna have courage to step into this. Let's talk a little bit about the hands, the skill. And so the first thing that you wanna do is you wanna pray. Just like Abram went to God first, he sought the Lord, you want to pray. And you wanna ask the Lord a couple of things when you pray. One, that he would search your heart. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So you get there before the Lord and you just say, God, search my heart. Show me what's real and what's true here. And then you wanna ask God to show you the log that might be in your own eye. You may not have the right perspective or the whole story. And so you wanna ask God to show you what's true. Matthew 7, three through five, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so pray. Get with God, ask him to search your heart. And I'm just gonna give you a list of questions. These will be on the website, they'll be in the bridge. You can take a picture of them. We're not gonna spend that much time on them, but it's just questions that I ask myself when I know that there's a conflict situation and I want God to search me, to search my heart. Questions like what's true? What are the facts about this situation? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? What are my attitudes and biases in this situation? What sinful or unhelpful words or actions have I contributed to this conflict? What baggage button did they hit? I love that language. I bring baggage into relationships, right? And I wanna know what have they hit that's got me amped or escalated? Is it family of origin stuff? Is it a previous point of pain? Which of my insecurities are popping up? Why am I defensive? And so the first thing you wanna do is you wanna do what Abram did. You wanna get to that place, realize there's conflict, and you wanna say, hey God, man, will you show me what's real and what's true? The second thing you wanna do is you wanna prepare for the conflict, okay? And the first thing you wanna do is you wanna spend time in God's word. And so I have, some of you have heard me talk about this before, I've got a, a folder on my desktop that's called Planned Biblical Responses. And in it, I have about 50 documents, and it's all scripture, and it's like a planned biblical response to anxiousness, a planned biblical response to shepherding, a planned, um, planned biblical response to conflict. And I'll go click that, pull it up, and just about before every meeting that I ever do, I just run through that and I remind myself of what's true. I go to God's word and say, God, change the way I think about this. And I remind myself that Christ saved me for the purpose of being an ambassador that conflict's an opportunity for discipleship, that conflict's an opportunity to grow my faith, 
to take a risk. I don't know the outcome when I'm stepping into that meeting, but it's a chance for me to grow my faith. And so I go and I remind myself what's happening. As I continue to prepare for the conflict, I think about the timing and the audience. I wanna go as quickly as I can without being in a place where I'm escalated and amped up. And then I wanna get all the right people in the room. I will tell you in conflict, the telephone game is real and active. Right, that if you have, don't have all the people in the room, some of the people that aren't in the room are gonna hear a secondhand or a thirdhand story and it's just gonna make things even harder later. And so you wanna get the right audience in the room. You also wanna rehearse the meeting. Right, let me just tell you some things that I remind myself before I jump into these and it's just that, hey, I need to be a good listener. I need to assume the best. I need to respond and not react emotionally. I need to remind myself that hurt people hurt people. And I need to remember that when I'm hurt, I can hurt people. Choose my words wisely. Anticipate likely reactions like what's gonna happen and how can I be ready for that? Be prepared for unreasonable people. I've been in a lot of meetings where I felt like I've done exactly what God wanted me to do and I've been called names and been accused of taking sides and all kinds of stuff. And I felt like I did everything that I should do. And there's no guarantee in the outcome, but my heart was in a good spot. And what I try to do, I don't always do it. I just go home and I go to bed. And that's really hard when there's conflict. But if you've done everything you can Right, I quoted Romans 12, 18 earlier. It's, if possible, do everything you can to be at peace with all men. It's like God knows, if possible, right? It's not always possible to do that. But just be prepared for unreasonable people. Do the best you can and then go home and trust God with, with the outcome. And the last P is to participate humbly. And we're gonna look at a passage of scripture here, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, that I think the church has done a bad job of teaching. Okay, you hear terms like church discipline or care and correction, and it's built around this passage right here. But I just want you to put on a different lens and look at the kindness of the passage that's in here. And so let's read it together. It just says, if your brother sins, okay, so if you see somebody in sin, Go and show him his fault in private, right? So if you've got a friend that's walking with Christ, their heart is, hey, I wanna walk with Christ, and you see them doing something that's not of the Lord, God's telling you, you need to go help them. That's really kind. You don't do it over social media, right? You go and sit down and say, hey, I may not have the whole story here, but what's, tell me what's going on. You say you wanna walk with Jesus, but this doesn't look like that in in your life. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Awesome. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Do you see the kindness here? There's a person that is in sin. The sin will keep growing because that's what sin does. It will be divisive. It will be chaotic. And this friend has stepped in and said, hey, I love you. I wanna help you. What you're doing, okay, it's gonna be hurtful to you and hurtful to others. I wanna help, I wanna help. And then you bring some other people to help. 
It says two or three. It doesn't say tell it to hundreds, okay? But if they don't listen to you with the two or three, here's what it says. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So here's the next circles, right? The next one is tell it to the church. That doesn't mean if you have rebuffed the two previous tries that you're gonna hear about it on Sunday morning, right? It means that who's your church? Who are you living life with that's gonna be affected, okay, by the sin that may be destructive in your life? It's probably your community group, maybe some ministry folks that do that. Now, I will tell you, if that happens in my life, Okay, if I'm not listening to the men and women in my life who are shaping and sharpening me, you're gonna have to hear about it, okay? Because of the role that I play here. But that's who the church is. And then it says if, if they don't listen to the church say that, we're to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. How do we treat those people? We love them. We're kind to them. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance, the scripture says. So this is really a kind, pack, uh, a kind passage, and it's how we participate in these things with kindness. And so let me just give you a few other things just that kind of will help you that are actually tactics. So just think now, hey, you're in one of those meetings. You're face-to-face -face with these, face-to-face -face with two or three people. Here are the steps that will be helpful to you. One, own your part. Even if your part is 5%, you need to own it and lead with humility. I, I am not a clear communicator. I can always own that I did not clearly communicate in a conversation. I was part of the problem. I can always own that. Parents, with your kids, can you own that? You have these expectations at times that you want, but you haven't been clear about the outcome that you hope, or at least in a way that they can, can understand understand you, so own your part. Express your sorrow for the pain that you have caused. Even if you're right, get neutral. And I know if I'm five or 10% of the problem, I start the meeting just by saying, hey, I know my part of this has hurt you. And I am so sorry for the hurt and the pain that I have caused. And it's leading with a step of humility. You can always own something in those meetings. And it starts the meeting off, okay, on a place of, at a place of humility. Third, uh, deal with the feelings first. Okay, and this is not, okay, this is not in a lot of books. Okay, so let me give you a story that may help you understand what I'm saying. So you're in this meeting and you're thinking, all right, deal with the feelings first. So uh, years ago, Trisha and I lived in a neighborhood uh, with a community group friends that were around the corner, and our kids were all girls. They all played together, same ages. It was awesome. And so one day, Trisha comes to me, and she says, hey, I don't think that that family wants their kids to play with our kids anymore. And I handled it beautifully, and I said, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Right? And so that created about a week of marital disunity, let's say, okay? The next day, this family calls and says, hey, can your kids come down and play? I won the battle. Yes, I won the battle. I lost the war, okay? 
Trish and I had a week of disunity, but if I would just, just would have said, hey, tell me why you're feeling that way. Man, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't think that's right, but let's give it a couple of days and kind of see what happens. I would have had a great week instead of a miserable week, right? Because I dealt with the feelings first. When you get in those meetings, if you deal with feelings, it takes the pressure out of those times. That's in any of the conflict meetings at home or any of that that you're having. Next, you wanna share clearly and concisely the harm you've caused. And so work on the language, it's important. Share clearly and concisely the harm done to you. So if you've been hurt, you wanna make sure you've identified what the hurt is, when it happened, as much detail as you can give, the better. Share humbly the sin pattern and the growth area that you see in somebody else's life. You wanna go to somebody with kindness. And I can, can I just stop right here and tell you this ought to be a principle in this thing, that when you move towards somebody in conflict, most of the time relationships deepen. Most of the time, I'll tell you this story. So I've got a really good friend um, who when we started Watermark years ago, um, we were, there was only three or four of us on staff and we were sitting around a table. I'd had this gal was working for me in the summer. She was a teacher helping part-time. And so about halfway through the summer, she said, hey, I'd love to be on staff, okay, full-time. And so Todd, who was my boss, got all three or four of us on staff around the table and just said, hey, do you, um, does anybody want this person on their team? Went around the table, nope, nope, nope. And we talked a little bit about why we weren't gonna have her on the team and there was a growth area for her that was specific that we talked about. And so we all got up, pushed our chair under the table and took off and Todd goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Everybody sit right back down. Who's gonna tell her? No, no, short straw. Okay, happened. And so because I had the best relationship with this friend, and so we sat down and we had an amazingly hard conversation. Ton of tears, ton of time trying to clarify. Okay, and so she went, and back in those days we were doing Titus II studies, and she took a Titus II study, and then she taught a couple of Titus II studies, and then two years later we hired this girl, and she was a ministry partner with me for 12 years at Watermark, and she's at our house every Christmas Eve for the last 12 years eating dinner before we head to the 11 o'clock service. Because we stayed in it, and we stayed after it. And I was trying to help her grow, and she was humble enough to listen and say, okay, I don't like the way he delivered that message, but I think he's right. And she took action and did it. So, it's a great way to deepen relationships. It doesn't always happen that way, but it can. It's one of the miracles that God does in the midst of this conflict thing. Next, ask for forgiveness. Use those words specifically. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And forgive me for the specific thing that's gone on. And then always ask about the last 2%. What are you gonna get in the car and talk about after that meeting? What conversation are you gonna have that would have been helpful to the discipleship of your heart and the discipleship of other people that were in that room? Say the last 2%. Ask for the last 2% and clean all of that up. Now look, what we've done today looks really clean and neat, right? It's on these beautiful slides that are up here. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. This is messy, 
And a lot of you in this room today are in the middle of things with family, with extended family, with school, coaches, with community groups, all of that. And I just wanna tell you, it's hard. It's really hard. And the great news is that Rob Berry's gonna spend a whole hour, 45 minutes next week talking about what do you do when you get stuck, when it gets hard, what, what do you do with that? But I just want you to know, it's really hard. But we don't get to ignore the fact that it's disciple-making, that it grows my faith, that I'm commanded to be an ambassador and a rescuer and to step in and lead into conflict. We don't get to do that. And the last thing is you probably don't realize if you've got a conflict in your life and you swept it under the table or you're passive aggressive, okay, I will just tell you you're not free. And you probably underestimate the weight that that is in your life. And so the last thing I wanna say to you today is when you do this, when you move towards conflict, when you run to chaos and you settle this, you get free. And intimacy with Christ happens differently. And intimacy in relationship happens differently. And so City Bridge, can you imagine if we get good at this, we learn the skills, we have the courage we understand the right thing to do. If we get good at it, you know we're commanded to be good at it. What's gonna happen in your neighborhoods? Your neighbors are gonna start to seek you out and say, hey, can you help me with my marriage? Can you help me with my parenting? I've got something going on at work. Can you help me? And all of a sudden, City Bridge Church becomes a city set on a hill. And it's the light to the world around it. And when somebody says, hey, we need peacemakers, not at the expense of the truth, not at the expense of the gospel, but when we need peacemakers, they think about City Bridge. That's what I want for City Bridge. I want us to be this image right here. I wanna be the people that have run to the chaos rescued people and helped them get out to a place of peace and joy and faithfulness and all the things that the Lord provides. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.